0: Down over my highland, on right hook, Name in the sky, I'm gonna free fall out in nothing, gonna leave this world for a while. Oh, hello. Hi there. Welcome. Comic Book Herald live hey everybody I'm Debusing founder and editor in chief of comicbookherald.com You're listening to CBH on YouTube or podcasts wherever you may get those today we're going to do a little post game show for the X-Men Hellfire Gala that came out towards the end of July a momentous eventful issue I've been gone for a few weeks so we're going to do a big old catch up on the last few weeks of X-Men Comics primarily. I suspect that will give us plenty to talk about. Talk a little bit about X-Men Hellfire Gala number one, Invincible Iron Man, X-Men 25, Astonishing Iceman 1, Immortal X-Men 14, and Children of the Vault number one, which came out today, August 9th. Thanks to everybody who's joining here live. Appreciate y'all hopping on. Thanks to those of you who uh, uh sent tremendous concern. As to my well-being, <laughs> after the offense of the Hellfire Gala, I got a lot of messages from people asking if I was okay, uh, which was really sweet, <laughs> which was very nice of y'all to ask. I am incredibly good. <laughs> I am totally fine. Was enjoying a vacation. Uh, I, I, that said, I'm, I'm also like, I'm happy the, the issue was good. We're going to talk about it here, but I'm, I'm really happy that it took, the Hellfire Gala specifically, took big swings. It offered some surprises, right, in terms of how far it was willing to go, and I think it actually sets the stage for, like, a genuine status quo shakeup, which is what this thing needed, which is what this puppy needed, Um, and, and we can talk about kind of what that means. So, again, spoilers will follow for a comic that's been out for a couple weeks now, The Hellfire Gala 2023, Uh, but then also, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about today's Immortal Expo number 14 and Children of the Vault, so if you haven't read those issues, definitely, uh, definitely check those out, and then probably come on back for the conversation. If you are here with us live, please get in any uh, thoughts, comments, questions that you may have. I will try to address those as I can. Okay, um, but we're going to dive right in. I think, you know what, I've got like very limited Ultimate Invasion thoughts, so if people are clamored for that, we can talk about that. The second issue came out, we haven't talked about it yet. But otherwise, I think we just go straight into X-Men Hellfire Gala. I suspect that is what most people here want to talk about. Okay, let's talk about what happened in the Hellfire Gala. <laughs> what happened? What happened was this. We opened with Kamala Khan brought back as a mutant. Okay. We knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. No surprise there. Um, this moment she, her death was, was projected in amazing Spider-Man. Uh, everybody knew, okay, they're going to bring her back as a mutant. So no surprise there. I think um, kind of going through the paces of bringing her back. I think there are some interesting things that can be done with Kamala Khan, AKA Miss Marvel as a mutant, Uh, The question, for example, is, okay, her powers are inhuman, though. Does she have an additional mutant power is, like, a minor mystery that is out there. Um, I I think the main thing I want to say about this is we knew this was coming. It doesn't make the death of any less atrocious. (laughs) I talked about this at the time. Like, listen, getting it over with fast, ripping off, like, Kamal's been dead. like, Like, it takes me more time to brew tea. Okay, like it takes me longer to get a, a, a nice cup of green with a little lemon ready than, than we had actual death of Kamala experience here. Um, it was horrible. <laughs> it was awful. It was all... The, the ends do not justify the means, uh, but here we are. I'm going to continue holding that against Marvel for probably as long as I can remember to because that was one of the just like bigger gaffes I've seen the publisher make in ages. Okay, that said... Let's talk about what actually happened here. So once Kamala's resurrected, the Hellfire Gala seems like it's going great. Uh, here, we knew. what. Here's what we knew was going to happen. Here's what we've been talking about and saying, okay, I don't know what the surprises are going to be. We kind of know a lot of what's going to happen. We knew Orcus, the hum- predominantly human organization that is fiercely anti-mutant, and, and, you know, that talks about wanting to protect all of mankind, but really is just like anti-mutant and will do anything to get there, including killing lots of humans, right? Um, they want mutants eradicated. They want mutant genocide uh, in order to protect a, a planet Earth for themselves. We knew Orcus was coming for mutants. We have seen this built brick by painstaking brick over the course of, I mean, really this entire era uh, since, you know, the House of X and Powers of X, but certainly throughout the Destiny of X, right? Certainly throughout the Destiny of X. So here's the Orcus plan in full as we see it developed. Let's let's see at which point do we get something that we kind of maybe couldn't have seen coming, okay? Civil War in Araka, that's happening. Orcus has helped, you know, sort of push that ahead through Genesis, that's happening in the pages of the great Alewing written, X-Men Red. During the Hellfire Gala, the Avengers are called away from the Hellfire Gala by a DC incident, this false flag Captain Krakoa explosion, uh, and an assassination attempt on Captain America. The majority of this we had seen in the free comic book day uh, uh, release from earlier in this year. So we knew that was coming. We still don't have, even I think as of today, any information as to who this Captain Krakoa actually is. Um, that detail has not been specified. I'm not sure how much it is super going to matter. I suspect that will come uh, will come up in the Uncanny Avengers book that Jerry Duggan is writing, um, which releases the first issue next week. Okay? And all this is happening right as a genuinely interesting X-Men team is announced. So the Hellfire Gal, every year they announce who's going to be the new X-Men roster. We get a pretty interesting team roster. We get Old Lady Laura, Sync, Prodigy, Frenzy, Cannonball, Dazzler, Jubilee, and Juggernaut no surprise there won the fan vote as i predicted again if you've been a meme you're going to win the fan vote the next page nimrod smashes in and attempts to kill them all um nearly succeeding with the exception of like juggernaut i don't know I'd sink i guess escaped there as well did old lady laura i i mean it's old lady laura how could she not she must be around um but okay so it's it's a it's a moment All right. And that is the huge uh, I guess I've seen some folks kind of compare it to Game of Thrones, Red Wedding turn where it's like, oh, okay, no, everything from here is going to be mutant kind just getting wrecked over and over and over. Um, But again, I would I would push back a little on the Red Wedding comps, not in terms of like the vibe and the devastation so much as the surprise of it all. Uh, Listen, we knew Orcus was coming. It was just a matter of when, right? Uh, So what happens from here? What is Orcus's plan beyond this point? Well, magic apparently has been poisoned with nanotechnology, inhibiting her X genes. X genes getting inhibited out here, left and right. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so she can't teleport out humans and the five. Nimrod then kills the Omega-level Iceman as Stark Sentinels descend on... No idea how to pronounce this correctly. So we're going to go with McNeese Island. Good old McNeese. Dr. Stasis reveals he's been adding a backdoor kill switch to Krakoan medicines. Now, I think this one is new. Uh, no no shock that the medicines would have been tampered with. But I think this was a new revelation, right? That they could just straight up kill anyone on Krakoan medicine. Significant hack. Okay, speaking of significant hacks, Orcus hacked the Krakoan gates. They've done a lot here, right? Basically, if there was a development in House and Powers that allowed for the establishment of Krakoa as a mutant nation state, Orcus reveals in this issue how they have attempted to dismantle, uh, disrupt, or otherwise devastate that development. Okay? They've taken out everything that made Krakoa, Krakoa. Omega Sentinel does show up during this Orcus uh, assault on the Hellfire Gala. But as far as I know, all Omega Sentinel, a.k.a. Karima Schaffender, a.k.a. the most interesting character remaining (laughs) in this entire saga, uh, all she did was dance with Sinister Stasis and punch the kingpin, right? Like a fun night out. Right? I think if you can go home and, and tell your friends, like, hey, I danced with a Sinister tonight and I punched the Kingpin, fun night out. But again, given the status as the time-traveling secretly most interesting character in this entire saga, still hasn't actually done anything. <laughs> okay? Still hasn't actually done uh, anything that speaks to the power, that speaks to the potential of that character. But that's besides the point. Plenty of other things are happening here. Jean Grey, showing off her Omega-level abilities, is stopping everything. She's going to change everyone's minds to just accept mutants, which feels like a, a, a trigger you could have pulled maybe a little earlier. When? Who should burst in the door? Who should burst through a gate? But, of course, evil robot Moira, formerly the most interesting character in this entire saga. No more. Evil robot Moira jumps through the gate, stabs Jean from behind with a uh blightswill. In, uh, infected, uh, coded blade. Blight's being this secret mutant killing thing they found in Otherworld. Um, or maybe it was the Bishop series. Doesn't matter. It works. Gene's dying. Moira then threatens to activate the Krakoan medicine kill switch on humanity if Charlie Ballgame doesn't stop and exile all of mutant kind. And this is, I would say, where things actually take a turn. This. So everything to this point, I would say, was yeah, okay. This is what we this is what we knew was coming. Right? We knew Orcus was gonna come. We knew they were coming out guns blazing. Um I didn't necessarily expect them to seemingly kill two Omega levels, including Iceman and Jean Gray. You know, credit where it's due there, right? For Duggan uh committing to that. Uh but everything to this point I would say you could say is like, yeah, yeah, like this is this is how we expect this issue to play out. Um the action's great, you know, it's it's doing what we thought. And then Moira makes this threat. And Charlie Ballgame forces, using his, his abilities, to send all mutants through the gates to what he thinks is off-planet, okay? He thinks he's sending all mutants off-planet, with the exception of those who know how to resist, because they've been trained by Charlie Ballgame in the art of the Red Triangle. Uh, while this is happening, Jean Grey works with Firestar in her dying moments, Jean's dying moments, to set up Dr. Stasis to believe that Firestar has actually been an Orcus mole this whole time. Uh, so, so Firestar is going to continue to play a pretty significant role here um, as the mutant who will uh, appear to have betrayed kind in working with Orcus... Uh, but in actuality is working now as a mole at Gene's behest as part of the X-Men. Okay, there's a very funny moment here too, where Firestar asks, like, okay, if they want info, who should I give up? And Gene immediately replies, Beast, <laughs> which is great, because Firestar doesn't even have to lie. She can just tell them anything Beast has done, and uh, and it will be true and horrible, <laughs> right? So that I enjoyed quite a bit. So again, as Charlie Ballgame is sending everyone to what he thinks is off-planet, we get a cutaway that is... that what I found the strangest of probably the entire issue, and on the second reread, I kind of see what's happening. Um, but the first time, I was like, what is going on here? Mother Righteous moves Krakoa's Atlantic Island into a bubble, presumably using some magic and whatever her connections are to the astral plane. Okay? This feels significant. We'll come back to this. Uh... Curse, I also want to call out, as Charlie is forcing mutants through the gates, using, again, telepathy and, and controlling their minds, Curse, uh, this this young mutant who uh, Jerry Duggan actually wrote, um, I don't know if co-created, but definitely wrote a bunch of in, and maybe did co-create in Cable and then used in X-Men Green, uh, does utter a curse upon Charles Xavier. Now, Curse has the mutant ability, you're not going to believe this, to curse individuals. <laughs> so Charlie X might actually be Cursed. Uh, TBD, if this means anything. But that that was something I didn't know the first time through. And then uh, after all this happens, of course, Orcus and Dr. Stasis were lying. And and they, you know, they're like, yeah, we're still going to kill everybody here. They do that. A rogue flies in, saves Professor Charlie. And Charlie is then led to believe that all mutants are missing. That actually, instead of going through the gates to Arako, or, um, or or somewhere else, right, that Orcus killed them in the gates. Now, Charles says, I sent them through a meat grinder. I took this metaphorically, like they were sent somewhere that was not a destination as opposed to, but I, it could be literal. <laughs> I guess Orcus could have hacked the gates to send mutants literally into a meat grinder, which is grotesque and horrifying. Um, and then Charles is left alone in his devastation and depression on Krakoa. After Rogue drops him off. And that's more or less where this issue ends. Like, in one issue, in one eventful issue, Krakoa has one mutant on it. The nation state has been completely uh, uh, made disreputable. Right? And uh, the apparent number of mutants left alive, even, to fight back against Orcus is like, decimation level 198. I don't know if we get a count. Maybe there's a count somewhere in there. Um, but, you know, famously after House of M, Scarlet Witch left 198 mutants. It's got that vibe. It's got that that sort of tenor to it in terms of just, like, yeah, there are barely any of us left after having a quarter million mutants on Krakoa. It's uh, It's pretty massive. It's pretty massive. And again, like, the end of this... Charles exiling the mutants only to real he's been bamboozled to then suggest that mutant kind might be reduced to this tremendously low number. It it really does push this thing in ways I was not fully expecting. So absolute credit where it's due to Jerry Duggan, to the creative teams, especially the return of Pepe Raz, those ending sequences, those are fantastic. Um, and of course the editorial for pulling this off. You know, I think two of the four Hellfire Galas have been genuinely phenomenal. The first one with the terraforming of Mars and this one. Um, There are issues, I think, that you can pull out with this. But, like, pulling off a one-shot event, essentially, is a tremendously difficult feat in superhero comics. There are not many examples you can reference that do similar things. I was thinking about this earlier today. Age of Apocalypse Alpha does this. That is a perfect one-shot encapsulation, although really it's just the beginning of the Age of Apocalypse, right? It's superhero comics. These are all in a sequence of something. They're never one and truly done. But Age of Apocalypse Alpha, I think, does it. I think Annihilation Prologue does it. I think on the DC side, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, you know, is an 80-page, pretty darn effective setup for that event. This Hellfire Gala is on those levels. It's on those levels, and there are not a lot of comics that do that. So that's hard to do. <laughs> so you have to. You have to give credit, especially, again, Jerry Duggan is the one who plans this. And I think as those of you who listen to me talk about X-Men comics regularly, you know I think Duggan is dependable but not a superstar. And I think when he drives the boat on these Hellfire Gala issues, the first one and then this one, Brings the chaos, brings the energy. This is his best X work since the first Hellfire Gala. I think X Men 25 follows it pretty well. I think when Duggan is writing kind of the core narrative in terms of the struggle between Orcus and, and Mutant Kind, he's pretty on it. He's pretty on it. I think that is the wheelhouse for this creator working in that he kind of knows how to work with in superhero comics you know, so you have to, or I have to give credit where it is due. Um, it, it drives to a place that is, if not exciting, interesting, right? If not, if not interesting, emotionally impactful, it's doing something to you. (laughs) Maybe it's anger. Maybe what you feel is disbelief or, or rage, but like, that's, that's the purpose of story to make you feel something right? And this issue definitely did that. So I, I give full credit for really, really going for it and setting up a fall of X that is, you know, kind of what we expected, but even more severe. You know, because by the end of this issue, before we got any of the rest of stuff, it's like, okay, so this is uh, Decimation, um, but worse somehow, <laughs> right? Like, because after after Decimation, or after House of M, Scarlet Witch reduces the mutant population to 198. Things were dire. Okay, things were super dire. But you actually, the decimated mutants, they weren't killed. They'd lost their abilities. Now, some of them died in losing their abilities. Some of them had, like, really devastating impact because of that, not to mention the sort of psychological trauma that that might might, uh, unleash on some of them. Um, But a lot of them were still alive and could kind of wrestle with that change. You know, Uh, this is, this gives the implication that like, no, they're gone. Okay. Now, if I had recorded this at the time, I would have told you they're not gone. (laughs) I promise you they're not actually dead. And we've already found out reason to believe that, that that is true. Okay. And we'll talk about that as we go. But in the moment, you know, as an issue, that's where it ends, leaving you wondering, are all those mutants actually dead? And you have to think about it and you have to think about the ramifications, it's actually worse than decimation. It's actually worse. It reduces the mutant population to a comparable number. It sets up a world that fears and hates them way more than the decimation landscape. In the decimation landscape, I mean, things are bad, okay? And, like, around the Civil War time, you've got, like, sentinels guarding the X-Mansion. But they're also, like, having a conversation (laughs) with those government agencies. They are not actively attacking them. You got like James Rhodes piloting a Sentinel and like an an ostensible ally of sorts, right? It's, it was not as bad actually as this appears to be, which is a bit controversial to say, okay, here's the Krakow era. Here's the promise of house and powers and mutant ascendancy and a nation of mutants that can finally kind of have their own, place and role in the Marvel universe without being hunted and then kicking like like upending that so severely that now they are literally the most hunted they've ever been and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that you know even during their lowest moments if you think about the rise of the Sentinels if you think about Um, Claremont era feared and hated mutants. They were never just straight up hunted the world over, right? There were always factions that had it out for them. And like, I guess in a way that's true now, but we really have not seen much much, if any, indication because all of the information about what happened is coming from Orcus. So the only people who can counter that information are mutants themselves who were there but aren't hiding. And, like, that's it? <laughs> you know? Um, Even, you know, it's and I'm, I'm curious how this is going to play out. So, like, in Uncanny Avengers, the book that's going to come out next week, written by Jerry Duggan, it's going to have, you know, Captain America allying with a bunch of mutants. And I'm curious how that will manifest in a world... That has newspapers screaming mutant massacre, not to mean the death of mutants, but to mean mutants massacre humans, right? And Captain America not really having any firsthand knowledge or no Avengers having any, no presence at the event, you know, it's all just kind of trust in former allies, which we know to be true, right? We've seen what happened. Um, but I'm curious, I'm curious how that's actually going to play out. Things look bad. (laughs) I think it's it's safe to say, and like, listen, I'm, I'm pretty here for that. I think if you're going to do the fall of X, which I've got no issue with, um, you know, I've said this before, but like superhero comics are only interesting if characters struggle, you know, if these situations get bad before they get better, otherwise it's just like, I don't even know what, even fairy tales, <laughs> like this is just, this is just the nature of story. You have a dip. You have to have a drop before a rise. Um, And of course, that's what this is. You know, I think one of the big picture questions that I have in terms of where does this leave us, okay, mutant ascendancy will bounce back. Right? The fall of X is not the end of Krakoa. It is not the end of mutant kind. It is not the end of the X-Men. It is going to be a Dark rain esque period where things are really bad before they get better. I think the thing I'm most interested in here is how or if we ever get out of the first gear. Like, this is Krakoa's first challenge. Human hate, human opposition. That's first gear. Remember how this started as a long game? Remember how House of X and Powers of ten started as a long game? How do we get there? How do we get mutants back in a position where 100 years in the future is even a conversation, where 1,000 years in the future is even a conversation, where dominions and ascension are even in the conversation? They're at year four, and they can't get past the humans. (laughs) Right? And you have to tell that story first. And of course, it's going to be hard, right? Of course, it's easier said than done. Um, but it it does really make me think, like, how do we get out of this first gear? Because it it is, this is the earliest part of the challenge, at least as, as viewed and kind of conceived on the original Moira timeline of having seen how this stuff plays out over the course of centuries, you know? Um, so, of course this is not fall of x is going to be i mean every series in it is five five issues for five months right so the fall of x might be half a year <laughs> i mean i kind of hope they commit to it longer frankly um but anyway that those are those were my initial thoughts on all this i think huge credit to jerry duggan and team for pulling off a really effective issue um i think setting up a fall i'm i'm definitely more interested in the fall of X than I was before that issue. I'm not wholly hooked by any means, but I'm definitely more interested. And I think that is that is the best thing this, this book could have done. Okay, I'm going to pause for a drink from our sponsor today. I want you all to get in thoughts, get in questions, and I will take a look here. Uh, we are sponsored today by Fridgewater. This is Fridgewater coming out of a fridge faucet that is telling me it needs a new filter, but we'll see if that happens. Uh, It is is chilly. Put some ice cubes in here. I have a little ice tray that forms rounded cubes, not square cubes, rounded cubes, and uh, and we're drinking that big water out of a disintegrating Hulk Nalgene. You can only see Hulk's feet at this point on the Nalgene, on the 48-ounce bottle that I carry with me everywhere. You can still see all of Bruce Banner, though. Which I feel like might be telling me something, but I'm not sure what. Let's see, what questions do we have today? Chad points out Fall of X is only five months. So we got a gear shift coming immediately for good or ill. Yeah, that is the nature. We'll, we'll have a solicited rise of X within two months. <laughs> right? That's how this thing goes. Mr. Loki says Marvel hates new ideas. I don't know what that's in reply to. I'm definitely more inclined. To agree with you than I've ever quite been but you're still dead wrong <laughs> I promise you Marvel does not hate new ideas. they are in at this moment struggling desperately to execute new ideas to embrace new ideas but I promise you they don't do <laughs> a man I hate them. Uh, mark Boyd points out Beast was right question mark okay. This is this is interesting. This is this is genuinely interesting, I think. Okay, so Beast has gone full supervillain, right? As we've been seeing in the Ben Percy verse over on the um the Wolverine side of things. Here's a question that I was thinking about. So in Immortal X-Men number 14, today, issue written by Karen Gillan, we got Lucas Wernick on art. Spoilers for this are about to drop. If you haven't read this yet, bounce. Okay, then come back, please. I'll miss you. Um in Immortal X-Men number 14, this issue ends, spoiler, 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 with the revelation that Exodus, Destiny, and Hope, mutants who all went through a crocon Gate, as forced by Charlie Ballgame, are nowhere, no win in the desert, with actually all of the mutants. So all of the mutants that we thought were maybe dead are, are in nowhere, no win. <laughs> they are in a very biblical... uh. Exodus from the Bible uh, situation with Exodus as the Moses figure leading them through the desert, okay, or through the Torah, depending on your religion. Um, It is not surprising the mutants are not dead. That's what I expected. I'm a little surprised, again, that they revealed it this quickly. I actually think that's something that, you know, I actually give Gillen a lot of credit. There's a number of things that have happened recently where they could have played out a mystery. They could have played out of what's gonna happen here, and Gillen just drops the information the very next issue. And I kind of love that approach. Um, both because it keeps things moving, it keeps our attention, but also because like stuff gets like look at the Kamala Khan saga. <laughs> like what piece of that didn't get spoiled in advance? You know, like weeks in advance. So yeah, just like move ahead. Keep it, keep the wheels a churning. Okay, so it's not surprising the mutants are not dead. The question, though, that is interesting is how. Okay, Orcus had hacked the gates. Orcus had hacked the gates. Um, They could have sent mutant kind anywhere, seemingly. I don't understand. I mean, I guess I get it from a plot perspective, but I don't understand why Charles had any confidence those gates would lead to Rocco. You know, Like, like who was controlling the settings? Sage? Back on Krakoa? You know, like like who's actually in charge of that? I don't know why he thought that. That, w- that wasn't really conveyed effectively, at least in my reading. Maybe some of y'all saw something different. Um, but anyway, Orca's had control, and Charles believes that they sent all these mutants to their death, which if they had control, they easily could have done. So the question, if all these mutants are in nowhere, no when, is how? Who changed the gates? Who changed the destinations. Okay, the number one answer that came to my head in interrogating this question is Beast. <laughs> we want to talk about Beast was right. Okay, who had Intel on Orcus? Beast. Who would have been following them closely? Beast. Who has the technology and the, the intellectual capacity to have hacked the gates themselves and foreseen this complication? Beast! I love the idea that Beast is actually the savior of of all—of supervillain Beast is actually the savior of all of these mutants keeping them alive. Now, I'm kind of hopeful that all of these mutants are, like, lost in the multiverse. I think the most likely answer—the most likely answer is the sequence of Mother Righteous— being where the mutants wound up. Okay, and what I mean by that is in the Hellfire Gala sequence, there's a two-pager of uh, Duggan saying, and Mother Righteous has her own plans. And again, what she does is she puts a segment of Krakoa, the Atlantic portion of it or whatever, uh, in a bubble, in a magic bubble. It seems very possible that all the mutants could be in Mother Righteous's magic bubble. Right? Um, That would kind of make sense. That she's playing her own game, that it's going to be different than Orcus is. You know, we know they have a tenuous alliance at best. You know, she hasn't really fully... She isn't, again, like, it's important here. They've really established Mother Righteous is not a Mr. Sinister. She is a clone of Mr. Sinister's Elizabethan wife. What was it? Rachel Essex? Is that right? Um, she's got her own game. Okay, now, if she saved all of these mutants... And so much of her power is tied to like gratitude, is what we've seen established. What might all these mutants have to say to her <laughs> upon realizing she's their savior? Right? She'll be getting the thanks, and then she can do with that what she pleases. So that that was my first thought as to where are these mutants going to wind up. But then having seen it in Immortal X Men number fourteen, it did get me thinking. Like, I guess I guess you could just make the argument that okay, Mother Righteous also hacked the gates magically, you know, we're talking magic, seemingly she can do just about anything, nonetheless, I quite like the idea of Beast actually having played a role, because, uh, like, I guess otherwise the question is, where was Beast in all this? You can't tell me he, he wasn't scheming, he wasn't thinking about it, right? Um, okay, So, yes, good question. I think a good idea to bring up Beast. I think he's one of the more interesting players in this. Um, And I don't know if that'll actually be a part of this, but I I do think it would be kind of interesting. Um, What else do we got? What else do we got here in the comments? Uh, James says Sabretooth will save the 250000 Sabretooth's still out there, baby. It is interesting to think now, like, because you have, okay, we don't know exactly what mutants are left. You know, as part of the resistance and all that, um, generally because it's the ones who were trained firsthand by by Charlie, you can kind of assume it's going to be, you know, named characters, right? <clears throat> Basically, it's a little bit like Decimation where it's like, well, if you're good-looking and famous, <laughs> you probably survived this. Um, that said, there are quite a few other kind of pockets of mutants that could have survived, right? Doug Ramsey in the pit along with Mr. Sinister and whoever else is there. Um, I guess the, the awful Fenris twins, and then you who are already working with Orcas, so they don't really count. And, uh, and then you've got the Sabretooth gang, right? Over in the Victor Laval written series um, of all of those escaped mutants from the pits. So you do have players out there. Now, I'm very interested in what the third part of the Victor Laval Sabretooth is going to be. It's going to be called Sabretooth War, um, it's going to be a crossover with Ben Percy and Wolverine apparently, uh, that should be very interesting, but I'm curious how, if, or how it will intersect with the fall of X, that could be pretty cool, that could be pretty, cool, but we do have, I mean, again, it's like, we have a fair amount of, of mutants where we really don't know the status, like, what, like, what's Legion's deal right now, you know, like, where did Spurger leave him, he just kind of bailed for a while, <laughs> he could come back and do some stuff, Mr. M., Still out there in other world, we have options. Betsy, whatever she's doing, you know, there's options. There are options. Um, but the the big thing for Mortal X-Men, of course, as we're getting there. Is like, yeah, the mutants aren't dead, unless unless Gillen is just full on losting it, and they, <laughs> they are actually they've actually dead, and uh, hell is a desert, being led by Exodus. Then the mutants are not dead. The question is just where is nowhere, no when. Astral plane, magical bubble, my mother righteous, feels like our leading candidate. Beast sending them into the multiverse, an idea I like. Okay. Um, either way, Professor X is deeply depressed and alone on Krakoa <laughs> because he thinks he killed them all. He thinks he pulled a Scarlet Witch. We do also get that one of the mysteries in the Hellfire Galaxy issue was, okay, Sebastian Shaw was missing throughout all this. What's he up to? And we get the answer there in Immortal X-Men number 14 right away. Uh, Shaw was just counting, you know, counting his money. Thinking he was going to inherit all of Krakoa's wealth. Uh, In actuality, he got ripped off by Mother Righteous. Thought he'd get all that wealth, and now he's trying to find ways to exploit it. Okay? Uh, And generally unsuccessfully. At this point. At this point. In X-Men 25... We get the establishing of, you know, the underground X-Men resistance. We get Sync. We got uh, Kate Pride now going full Shadowcat, leaning on her ninja roots, as established in the late 80s via Kitty Pride and Wolverine, where she uh, trained to become a ninja assassin. I feel like if that's a skill set you have, you do want to use that every now and again, like every few years. Like, you're like, I went through the training... I put a lot of money into that degree. I want to get some miles out of it. So Kate's getting miles out of her ninja training here. Um, and, and you know, you got Orcus convincing large portions of the mutant of the population of this mutant massacre. Right? The mutants were responsible for all the death at the Hellfire Gala. Uh, these elements are a bit harder to swallow in terms of the Orcus disinformation being convincing. I guess in part because of the dramatic irony that we know the truth. But, like... Sinister Stasis delivers this information as the messenger in a world that knows about the sins of sinister? Like, how is that your best messenger? Why? How on earth is the humanity supposed to believe this individual who looks exactly like <laughs> the other guy who they've been told led uh, to their deaths in a possible future timeline? I didn't get that at all. Why, why would he be the one communicating that information? You could have anyone else do that. Uh, I do appreciate Jerry Duggan's efforts here in X-Men 25 to draw modern societal and political parallels in Orcus's attempt at genocide. You know, you got conversion therapy centers, deportation to war zones, literal concentration camps masquerading as standard policy. We talk at X-Men or are we talking the world outside your window? Right? Very clear. Not even metaphors. I mean, it's just just reflection of things that are happening. Um, and I think using X-Men to do that in, during this era, it, it, it works. It does. Um, I, I definitely had the sense of X-Men 25 is doing its best. I definitely did have that sense of kind of like a little comeback to earth moment, right? Um, from the hell gala where it's like, okay, now we're going to play this out for a minute. You know, um, I see where this is going. I would say, I thought astonishing Iceman had a very similar flavor. turns out Iceman didn't die. He was saved by the power of love, Uh, the mutant power of love specifically. (sighs) Potential, a lot of potential in that series, but that first issue did not capture me in any meaningful way. Uh, In that first issue that did capture me though, that did really, really kind of get me excited is Children of the Ball, number one, came out today. This is my favorite Fall of X release so far. You have a begrudging Cable and Bishop teaming up. As the children of the vault make their moves, the children of the vault have been released because the only thing keeping them in check was Forge's Krakoa-powered dream prison. <laughs> okay, uh, and now they're free. So now you get the children of the vault making moves and trying, basically, doing what what the X Men did, you know saying, we will give you all these great things. All you have to do is follow us. Uh, much like Victor Laval was able to do with Sabretooth, then his camp, the writer of Children of the Vault, is already weaving in his efforts to examine like some true global ramifications of these superheroic fantasies. Uh, camp does this gloriously well in, um, oh, jeez, no, all I can think is Children of Men. What's the series called? 20th Century Men. Uh, You know, where where the highly, highly recommended six-issue series came out from Image last year. But, you know, just incorporating things like the lithium fields of Chile. You know, that's something the did really well. History, data, information being used to set the tone and the message and the themes of the super heroic work. Camp's doing that already in a first issue of Children of the Vault. And then on top of that, just good old-fashioned fun comic stuff. Bishop and Cable hate each other. (laughs) okay, as they should. If you don't know your X-Men history as well, uh, in the post-Messiah complex era, Cable goes on the run with Hope Summers. She's the mutant messiah. It's Cable's task to protect her, but he has to jump all throughout time because Bishop is hunting them to the death because Bishop thinks Hope Summers will actually lead to the eradication of mutant kind and the horrible future that he's from. So you basically have two futures colliding and Cable and Bishop saying which one is true, it's a bad era for Bishop. <laughs> like, he's, he's a pretty full-on supervillain. He's trying to kill a baby. Um, but they don't have a lot of reason to like each other. So they're an interesting pairing to put together here as two individuals who can work against not only Orcus, but also the Children of the walls and the rise of what's going on there. This book, I, I had very high confidence because Dennis Camp is so good. On 20th Century Men. It's great to see a first issue be strong. I if you're gonna pick up one Fall of X book outside of the obvious continuity-heavy X-Men or Immortal or X-Men Red, it should be Children of the Vault. It definitely should be Children of the Vault. Um, all right, let's take another big swig from our sponsor here. Again, we're brought to you today by Big Water. Go to Big Water slash CBH for a promo cut up to 30% off of your next glass of water. Uh, otherwise, we can see what's here in the questions. <laughs> Pepto points out here, not sure if you mentioned, but the hawk's pox bit was very cute. It was. <laughs> There's a literal pox, uh, a virus, as identified in the distant future by a, a doctor with the last name of Hawksman, and it's called the hawkspox, which of course reflects hawk's pox. House of X, Powers 10, as many individuals have referred to it. I also loved in that data page the, the reference to Grant Morrison's uh, Hexus, the Living Corporation, from Marvel Boy in the early 2000s. That was a nice pull by by Dennis Camp, always looking for some Hexus, the Living Corporation. Let's see. What else do we got? Do-do-do. I think it would make sense for the Children of the Vault and the Maker of the Ultimates to team up. R.J. Hamedi says, uh, yeah, there's a ton of similarities. The fact that they are now out of the vault and calling themselves the children of tomorrow, that is what the Makers' allies or servants or whatever you call them are called as well in that hickman written Ultimates. Um, so I feel like we're past similarities and into overlapping they're the same (laughs) situation like i think i think at this point and like they lived in the city the city was a maker thing i think at this point like the children of the vault just are the makers children of tomorrow but the earth 616 version like i'm not sure there's there's much uh daylight between those concepts at this point let's see uh, James points out Bishop literally destroyed the world in that post-decimation era. <clears throat> like I said, not a, it wasn't a great era <laughs> for Bishop. <laughs> he had a rough few years. Real rough few years. We, we just kind of don't talk about that stuff. Um, let's see. JD asks, were you expecting Colossus's storyline to be resolved in the Hellfire Gala like I was? Where do you think that three-year plot element will be resolved? Uh, surely it will be resolved by Benjamin Percy I in the pages of X-Force. I suspect it will be resolved in the year of our Lord, 2028, um, shortly before, uh, shortly before Marvel Comics uh, rebrands as, as, um, as something new that I don't have a joke for. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time. No, I was not expecting it to be resolved in the Hellfire Gala. Uh, I guess I didn't, I don't expect anything of that plotline, I guess is the thing. Like it's it's so important and yet simultaneously so on the fringe. You know, it's like there's such a, a schism <laughs> between how important it feels like it should be and how important it actually is. Like remember in Inferno, the second issue which ended with Hickman writing this cliffhanger stealer of a shady-looking colossus coming in and how it was like, oh, that feels like it could be big, and then it was just nothing in the context of that actual book. You know? That's kind of what all the X-Force Wolverine stuff winds up being. Um, it's it's very siloed in ways that do not benefit those books, I think, at all. <laughs> all right. what are the, That's a good question. What other questions do you all have? Uh, Vass asks, do you think that the captain system was just disregarded for the Hellfire Gala? Cyclops went to an obvious trap. Magic was immediately handicapped and Bishop was where? Yeah. The, the captain commander in the captain system that Krakoa has uh, really sucks. (laughs) Pretty flipping useless. Um, about as bad as X-Force, I think, you know, like what has X-Force prevented Really, all they've done is add to the problems that Krakoa has. You know, uh, all of Krakoa's defense systems. Listen, I'm not necessarily, I'm not often the first person to be like, let's put some more spending in defense. Uh, but Krakoa's defense has sucked throughout this entire era. Yes, the captains had no good plans. I'm, I'm pretty consistently annoyed during this era by how easy it is to deep how to take away someone's mutant powers you know we've seen that happen a lot and it's like listen if it's that easy mutant kind should be no threat at all (laughs) they should be the easiest thing to handle that makes for very boring stories it's just used very conveniently you know like i i of all like i would say building to the hellfire gala all of those seeds were planted very carefully and dug in very effectively Pulled them all into one devastating takedown of Krakoa. With the exception (laughs) of Magic's apparent infection by nanotechnology. That was not a well thought out or steadily built thing. You know. Um, Listen, if there's one little moment in X-Men where it happens, like, sure, fine. Okay. Uh, But yes, it was very convenient. I did not see Bishop there either. I think, uh, isn't Quan'an uh, another captain on the team? Like, yeah, like they were, you know, they were ill-prepared. And it is one of those things too, where it's like, I think in the first couple health Hellfair gals, you had a better sense of, hey, we're all going to be gathered in one place. We should be careful. What precautions should we take? How are we making this secure? X-Force is involved. That was a thing that was definitely eschewed here was left off the board (laughs) because we had to get to the fall of X, you know? Okay. What other questions we got? Bill says the storm virus also got mentioned in children of the vault. When will it hatch? Now this would be dating back to giant size X-Men as written by Jonathan Hickman. Storm was infected by the children of the vault She was on death's door until uh, Phantom X and Doug Ramsey and some others got her into the world where they, I don't know if they fully excised or removed the virus, but they stopped it. So if camp can work that stuff back in, that would be pretty exciting. I I was actually thinking today when that got referenced, like, Man, those giant-sized mysteries are so, so like not on anyone's radar, you know. Because you still have the weird, uh, sinister Phantom X baby stuff. (laughs) You still have whatever weird little alien thing was talking to Doug at the end of that storm issue. You still have (coughs) excuse me. You still have the uh, the key that Namor Magneto found. In that issue, like, that stuff is just totally lost plot threads or mysteries, whatever you want to call them. Um, what other questions we got? Let's see. Okay, the one additional theory that I have is there was a teaser at San Diego Comic-Con. It's the only one that really got my attention for a new X-Men. And the logo was the same font, the same logo style as the Age of Apocalypse. And I think the question was, who are the new X-Men? This got me thinking. Apocalypse is due for a comeback. He's at odds with his wild wife again. (laughs) Wives be wifing. And, uh, And he is kind of the remaining founder of Krakoa, who's in any kind of position to take a stand and do something with Magneto and Charlie Ballgame off the board, it would be really cool to have an Apocalypse-led New X-Men unit, okay? I think that'd be super cool. Now, if you want to really throw a wrinkle into it, then I love referencing the time Professor X went to Age of Apocalypse in the pages of Marvel Unlimited Infinity Comics where he said, hey, we should really uh, expand Krakoa to the multiverse. Can we get some multiversal Apocalypse-led X-Men from the literal Age of Apocalypse? That'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. I'm hoping uh, that new X-Men book is an Al wing joint. We shall see. We shall see. All right. What final thoughts or questions do we have? Let's see. The Resurrection asks, why no upload in four months? I'm right here talking. I'm right here. <laughs> you talking about, like, like actual non-streamed upload videos, presumably? Because um, I do this. And, and, and that's good with me. And that's good with me. Uh, what other questions do we got? Kingpin in Mutant Land is an interesting twist. I do agree. Love him being trapped in his Hellfire Galagir for as long as possible. Uh, What else? Let's see. Okay. Okay. I'm not seeing anything else immediately. All right, great. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Really appreciate it. Um, One final thing I actually want to mention here is, so, this week... Over on, whoop, that's not what you want to see. Okay. On sketch.com, great website run by David Harper, who hosts the off-panel podcast. If you like comic interviews, uh, David does an amazing job. He wrote his long-form feature on what is going on at Marvel right now. Why are they kind of stuck in this rut? Might they be in need of a fresh start? And listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the guest stars in this article. Look at that. Comic Book Herald's Dave Busing. Okay, my favorite part of this whole article is David refers to me as the journalist, check, critic, check, and Marvel historian. That's new. That's real new, and I love it. And I'm going to be using it from now on. I would really appreciate it if all of you could double down on referring to me as a historian as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, David asked me for my thoughts on kind of what was going on with Marvel, how I felt about it right now as a whole. Uh, I shared a bunch. It's quoted in here. It's a great article, not just because I'm in it, but obviously that helps. Um, I wrote like an essay <laughs> instead of just quotes. And that essay is going to be published in the Comic Herald newsletter, which is coming out every Friday. Maybe you can go to ComicHerald.com. If you want to subscribe to that and get the full uh, thing from all of my thoughts on what's going on at Marvel right now. But I mean, basically, it's a, you know, I I refer to it as the Marvel malaise. I think outside of the X-Books, Marvel's, they're in a bit of trouble. They're in a spot of difficulty at the moment. Um, And that article is all about that. Okay. So, any final Kenji asks, how long is X weeks later? As long as the list of puns that Kieran Gillen keeps with him next to his desk. Very long. Very, very long. Thank you all for listening. See you probably next week, honestly. There's a lot of comics coming out, and we might have to do back-to-back weeks here to talk about them. So, like, subscribe to the channel, all that fun stuff, and uh, you'll know when that's going to happen. Every Wednesday, baby. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the comics.